Chapter Twenty Six of Son of Tarzan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Son of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Twenty Six. Miriam, dazed by the unexpected sight of Korak, whom she had long given up as dead, permitted herself to be led away by Baines. Among the tents he guided her safely to the palisade, and there, following Korak's instructions, the Englishman pitched a noose over the top of one of the upright logs that formed the barrier. With difficulty he reached the top, and then lowered his hand to assist Miriam to his side. "'Come,' he whispered. "'We must hurry.' And then, as though she had awakened from a sleep, Miriam came to herself. Back there, fighting her enemies, alone was Korak, her Korak. Her place was by his side, fighting with him and for him. She glanced up at Baines. "'Go,' she called. "'Make your way back to Buana and bring help. My place is here. You can do no good remaining. Get away while you can, and bring the big Buana back with you.' Silently the Honorable Morrison Baines slid to the ground inside the palisade to Miriam's side. "'It was only for you that I left him,' he said, nodding toward the tents they had just left. I knew that he could hold them longer than I, and give you a chance to escape that I might not be able to have given you. It was I, though, who should have remained. I heard you call him Korak, and so I know now who he is. He befriended you. I would have wronged you. No, don't interrupt. I'm going to tell you the truth now, and let you know just what a beast I have been. I planned to take you to London, as you know, but I did not plan to marry you. Yes, shrink from me. I deserve it. I deserve your contempt and loathing, but I didn't know then what love was. Since then I have learned something else. What a cad and what a coward I have been all my life. I looked down upon those whom I considered my social inferiors. I did not think you good enough to bear my name. Since Hansen tricked me and took you for himself, I have been through hell but it has made a man of me, though too late. Now I can come to you with an offer of honest love, which will realize the honor of having such as you share my name with me. For a moment Miriam was silent, buried in thought. Her first question seemed irrelevant. How did you happen to be in this village? she asked. He told her all that had transpired since the black had told him of Hanson's duplicity. "'You say that you are a coward,' she said, "'and yet you have done all this to save me. "'The courage that it must have taken "'to tell me the things that you told me "'but a moment since, while courage of a different sort, "'proves that you are no moral coward, "'and the other proves that you are not a physical coward. "'I could not love a coward.' "'You mean that you love me?' he gasped in astonishment, "'taking a step toward her as though to gather her into his arms.' but she placed her hand against him and pushed him gently away, as much as to say, not yet. What she did mean she scarcely knew. She thought that she loved him. Of that there can be no question. Nor did she think that love for this young Englishman was disloyalty to Korak, for her love for Korak was undiminished, the love of a sister for an indulgent brother. As they stood there for the moment of their conversation, the sounds of tumult in the village subsided. "'They have killed him,' whispered Miriam. 
The statement brought Baines to a realization of the cause of their return. "'Wait here,' he said. "'I will go and see. If he is dead, we can do him no good. If he lives, I will do my best to free him.' "'We will go together,' replied Miriam. "'Come.' and she led the way back toward the tent in which they last had seen Korak. As they went they were often forced to throw themselves to the ground in the shadow of a tent or hut, for people were passing hurriedly to and fro now. The whole village was aroused and moving about. The return to the tent of Ali ben Kaden took much longer than had their swift flight to the palisade. Cautiously they crept to the slit that Korak's knife had made in the rear wall, Miriam peered within. The rear apartment was empty. She crawled through the aperture, Baines at her heels, and then silently crossed the space to the rugs that partitioned the tent into two rooms. Parting the hangings, Miriam looked into the front room. It, too, was deserted. She crossed to the door of the tent and looked out. Then she gave a little gasp of horror. Baines at her shoulder looked past her to the sight that had startled her, and he too exclaimed, but his was an oath of anger. A hundred feet away they saw Korak bound to a stake, the brush piled about him already alight. The Englishman pushed Miriam to one side and started to run for the doomed man. What he could do in the face of scores of hostile blacks and Arabs he did not stop to consider. At the same instant Tantor broke through the palisade and charged the group. In the face of the maddened beast the crowd turned and fled, carrying Baines backward with them. In a moment it was all over, and the elephant had disappeared with his prize. But pandemonium reigned throughout the village. Men, women, and children ran helter-skelter for safety. Curs fled, yelping. The horses and camels and donkeys, terrorized by the trumpeting of the pachyderm, kicked and pulled at their tethers. A dozen or more broke loose and it was the galloping of these past him that brought a sudden idea into Bain's head. He turned to search for Miriam, only to find her at his elbow. "'The horses!' he cried. "'If we can get a couple of them!' Filled with the idea, Miriam led him to the far end of the village. "'Loosen two of them,' she said, "'and lead them back into the shadows behind those huts. I know where there are saddles. I will bring them and the bridles.' And before he could stop her she was gone. Baines quickly untied two of the restive animals and led them to the point designated by Miriam. Here he waited impatiently for what seemed an hour, but was in reality but a few minutes. Then he saw the girl approaching beneath the burden of two saddles. Quickly they placed these upon the horses. They could see by the light of the torture-fire that still burned that the blacks and Arabs were recovering from their panic. Men were running about, gathering in the loose stock, and two or three were already leading their captives back to the end of the village, where Miriam and Baines were busy with the trappings of their mounts. Now the girl flung herself into the saddle. "'Hurry!' she whispered. "'We shall have to run for it. Ride through the gap that Tantor made.' And as she saw Baines swing his leg over the back of his horse, she shook the reins free over her mount's neck. With a lunge the nervous beast leaped forward. The shortest path led straight through the center of the village, and this Miriam took. Baines was close behind her, their horses running at full speed. So sudden and impetuous was their dash for escape 
that it carried them halfway across the village before the surprised inhabitants were aware of what was happening. Then an Arab recognized them, and with a cry of alarm raised his rifle and fired. The shot was a signal for a volley, and amid the rattle of musketry Miriam and Baines leaped their flying mounts through the breach in the palisade and were gone up the well-worn trail toward the north. And Korak? Tantor carried him deep into the jungle, nor paused until no sound from the distant village reached his keen ears. Then he laid his burden gently down. Korak struggled to free himself from his bonds, but even his great strength was unable to cope with the many strands of hard-knotted cord that bound him. While he lay there, working and resting by turns, the elephant stood guard above him, nor was their jungle enemy with the hardihood to tempt the sudden death that lay in that mighty bulk. Dawn came, and still Korak was no nearer freedom than before. He commenced to believe that he should die there of thirst and starvation with plenty all about him, for he knew that Tantor could not unloose the knots that held him. And while he struggled through the night with the bonds, Baines and Miriam were riding rapidly northward along the river. The girl had assured Baines that Korak was safe in the jungle with Tantor. It had not occurred to her that the ape-man might not be able to burst his bonds. Baines had been wounded by a shot from the rifle of one of the Arabs, and the girl wanted to get him back to Buana's home, where he could be properly cared for. Then, she said, I shall get Buana to come with me and search for Korak. He must come and live with us. All night they rode, and the day was still young when they came suddenly upon a party hurrying southward. It was Buana himself and his sleek black warriors. At sight of Baines the big Englishman's brows contracted in a scowl, but he waited to hear Miriam's story before giving vent to the long anger in his breast. When she had finished he seemed to have forgotten Baines. His thoughts were occupied with another subject. "'You say that you found Korak?' he asked. "'You really saw him?' "'Yes,' replied Miriam. "'as plainly as I see you, "'and I want you to come with me, Buana, "'and help me find him again.' "'Did you see him?' he turned toward the Honorable Morrison. "'Yes, sir,' replied Baines, very plainly. "'What sort of appearing man is he?' continued Buana. "'About how old, should you say?' "'I should say that he was an Englishman about my own age,' replied Baines, "'though he might be older. "'He is remarkably muscled and exceedingly tanned.' His eyes and hair, did you notice them? Buona spoke rapidly, almost excitedly. It was Miriam who answered him. Korak's hair is black and his eyes are gray, she said. Buona turned to his headman. Take Miss Miriam and Mr. Baines home, he said. I am going into the jungle. Let me go with you, Buona, cried Miriam. You are going to search for Korak. Let me go, too. Buona turned sadly but firmly upon the girl. "'Your place,' he said, "'is beside the man you love.' Then he motioned to his headman to take his horse and commence the return journey to the farm. Miriam slowly mounted the tired Arabian that had brought her from the village of the Sheik. A litter was rigged for the now feverish Baines, and the little cavalcade was soon slowly winding off along the river trail. Buona stood watching them until they were out of sight. Not once had Miriam turned her eyes backward. She rode with bowed head and drooping shoulders. 
Buona sighed. He loved the little Arab girl as he might have loved an own daughter. He realized that Baines had redeemed himself, and so he could interpose no objections now if Miriam really loved the man. But somehow, some way, Buona could not convince himself that the Honorable Morrison was worthy of his little Miriam. Slowly he turned toward a nearby tree. Leaping upward, he caught a lower branch and drew himself up among the branches. His movements were cat-like and agile. High into the trees he made his way, and there commenced to divest himself of his clothing. From the game bag slung across one shoulder he drew a long strip of doe-skin, a neatly coiled rope, and a wicked-looking knife. The doe-skin he fashioned into a loin-cloth, the rope he looped over one shoulder, and the knife he thrust into the belt formed by his g-string. When he stood erect, his head thrown back and his great chest expanded, a grim smile touched his lips for a moment. His nostrils dilated as he sniffed the jungle odors. His gray eyes narrowed. He crouched and leaped to a lower limb and was away through the trees toward the southeast, bearing away from the river. He moved swiftly, stopping only occasionally to raise his voice in a weird and piercing scream, and to listen for a moment after for a reply. He had traveled thus for several hours when, ahead of him, and a little to his left, he heard far off in the jungle a faint response, the cry of a bull-ape answering his cry. His nerves tingled and his eyes lighted as the sound fell upon his ears. Again he voiced his hideous call and sped forward in the new direction. Korak, finally becoming convinced that he must die if he remained where he was, waiting for the succor that could not come, spoke to Tantor in the strange tongue that the great beast understood. He commanded the elephant to lift him and carry him toward the northeast. There, recently, Korak had seen both white men and black. If he could come upon one of the latter, it would be a simple matter to command Tantor to capture the fellow, and then Korak could get him to release him from the stake. It was worth trying, at least. Better than lying there in the jungle until he died— as Tantor bore him along through the forest, Korak called aloud now and then in the hope of attracting Akut's band of anthropoids, whose wanderings often brought them into their neighborhood. Akut, he thought, might possibly be able to negotiate the knots. He had done so upon that other occasion when the Russian had bound Korak years before. And Akut, to the south of him, heard his calls faintly and came. There was another who heard them, too. After Buona had left his party, sending them back toward the farm, Miriam had ridden for a short distance with bowed head. What thoughts passed through that active brain, who may say? Presently she seemed to come to a decision. She called the headman to her side. "'I am going back with Buona,' she announced. The black shook his head. "'No,' he announced. "'Buona says I take you home, so I take you home.' "'You refuse to let me go?' asked the girl. The black nodded and fell to the rear where he might better watch her. Miriam half-smiled. Presently her horse passed beneath a low-hanging branch, and the black headman found himself gazing at the girl's empty saddle. He ran forward to the tree into which she had disappeared. He could see nothing of her. He called, 
but there was no response, unless it might have been a low, taunting laugh far to the right. He sent his men into the jungle to search for her, but they came back empty-handed. After a while he resumed his march toward the farm, for Baines by this time was delirious with fever. Miriam raced straight back toward the point she imagined Tanter would make for, a point where she knew the elephants often gathered deep in the forest due east of the sheik's village. She moved silently and swiftly. From her mind she had expunged all thoughts other than that she must reach Korak and bring him back with her. It was her place to do that. Then, too, had come the tantalizing fear that all might not be well with him. She upbraided herself for not thinking of that before, of letting her desire to get the wounded Morrison back to the bungalow blind her to the possibilities of Korak's need for her. She had been traveling rapidly for several hours without rest when she heard ahead of her the familiar cry of a great ape calling to his kind. She did not reply, only increased her speed until she almost flew. Now there came to her sensitive nostrils the scent of Tantor, and she knew that she was on the right trail and close to him she sought. She did not call out because she wished to surprise him, and presently she did, breaking into the sight of them as the great elephant shuffled ahead, balancing the man and the heavy stake upon his head, holding them there with his upcurled trunk. "'Korak!' cried Miriam from the foliage above him. Instantly the bull swung about, lowered his burden to the ground, and trumpeting savagely prepared to defend his comrade. The ape-man, recognizing the girl's voice, felt a sudden lump in his throat. "'Miriam!' he called back to her. Happily the girl clambered to the ground and ran forward to release Korak, but Tantor lowered his head ominously and trumpeted a warning. "'Go back! Go back!' cried Korak. "'He will kill you!' Miriam paused. "'Tantor!' she called to the huge brute. "'Don't you remember me? I am little Miriam. I used to ride on your broad back.' But the bull only rumbled in his throat and shook his tusks in angry defiance. Then Korak tried to placate him, tried to order him away, that the girl might approach and release him. But Tantor would not go. He saw in every human being other than Korak an enemy. He thought the girl bent upon harming his friend, and he would take no chances. For an hour the girl and the man tried to find some means whereby they might circumvent the beast's ill-directed guardianship, but all to no avail. Tantor stood his ground in grim determination to let no one approach Korak. Presently the man hit upon a scheme. "'Pretend to go away,' he called to the girl. "'Keep downwind from us so that Tantor won't get your scent. "'Then follow us. "'After a while I'll have him put me down "'and find some pretext for sending him away. "'While he is gone you can slip up and cut my bonds. "'Have you a knife?' "'Yes, I have a knife,' she replied. "'I'll go now. "'I think we may be able to fool him. "'But don't be too sure. "'Tantor invented cunning.' Korak smiled, for he knew that the girl was right. Presently she had disappeared. The elephant listened and raised his trunk to catch her scent. Korak commanded him to raise him to his head once more and proceed upon their way. After a moment's hesitation he did as he was bid. It was then that Korak heard the distant call of an ape. Akut, he thought. Good. 
Tantor knew Akut well. He would let him approach. Raising his voice, Korak replied to the call of the ape, but he let Tantor move off with him through the jungle. It would do no harm to try the other plan. They had come to a clearing, and plainly Korak smelled water. Here was a good place and a good excuse. He ordered Tantor to lay him down and go and fetch him water in his trunk. The big beast deposited him upon the grass in the center of the clearing. Then he stood with cocked ears and attentive trunk, searching for the slightest indication of danger. There seemed to be none, and he moved away in the direction of the little brook that Korak knew was some two or three hundred yards away. The ape-man could scarce help smiling, as he thought how cleverly he had tricked his friend. But well as he knew Tantor, he little guessed the guile of his cunning brain. The animal ambled off across the clearing, and disappeared in the jungle beyond in the direction of the stream. But scarce had his great bulk been screened by the dense foliage than he wheeled about and came cautiously back to the edge of the clearing, where he could see without being seen. Tantor, by nature, is suspicious. Now he still feared the return of the she-Tarmangani, who had attempted to attack his Korak. He would just stand there for a moment, and assure himself that all was well before he continued on toward the water. Ah, it was well that he did. There she was now, dropping from the branches of a tree across the clearing, and running swiftly toward the ape-man. Tantor waited. He would let her reach Korak before he charged. That would ensure that she had no chance of escape. His little eyes blazed savagely. His tail was elevated stiffly. He could scarce restrain a desire to trumpet forth his rage to the world. Miriam was almost at Korak's side when Tantor saw the long knife in her hand, and then he broke forth from the jungle, bellowing horribly, and charged down upon the frail girl. End of chapter 26